Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show, and thank you so much for tuning in with me here today. It is Wednesday, March 25th. On today's show, I will be joined by Drake Smith with the Drake Cremation and Funeral Service in Kamloops here to talk about how COVID-19 is impacting those in the funeral service field. I will be speaking with the CEO of Medimap about a new service that connects patients across British Columbia with an available walk-in clinic doctor over secure video calls. And I also caught up with BC Health Minister Adrian Dix here earlier today, so I'll be sharing my chat with him. And uh, that will be coming up at around 9.45, so stay tuned for that. But to begin today's show, I am joined on the line by Public Services and Procurement Minister Anita Anand. Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here today. Thanks so much for having me on and really looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, well, um, let me just kind of start by, you know, getting into the crux of the whole situation. I mean, hearing a lot of uh, medical professionals out there who are concerned about uh, materials that are sort of drying up rather quickly. So just in a general sense, I wanted to ask you about kind of how things are going to make sure that uh, the, the medical service professionals here in our country have the materials they need to handle the, this global pandemic. Thank you so much. Such a pertinent question. Let me tell you what I do every day as minister. I receive orders from PHAC, the Public Health Agency of Canada, uh, that is coordinating all of the requests from the provinces and territories across this country. And once I receive those orders, I go out and procure uh, goods and supplies. Uh, so whether we're talking about gloves or masks or gowns, uh, and those types of things, personal protective equipment, equipment, that has been our focus. And we are working really hard to buy a wide range of goods. Our goal is to be over-prepared, and we're anticipating demand in this area. And we've already been able to procure uh, substantial medical supplies, and making significant buys on a wide range of, of goods. In addition to that buying that we then, once we receive, get it out to the provinces, uh, we are also leveraging existing sources of pro supply, proactively engaging industry, and mobilizing Canadian manufacturers, retooling Canadian industry uh, so that they can start producing these goods uh, to ensure that our healthcare workers have the, the support and the goods they need to be safe on the front lines. How critical is it to have some of these materials being manufactured here in Canada? Because I imagine when, when you're looking to procure, uh, you know, just on a, on a general sense, when you're competing with many, many other countries, probably almost every other country for a lot of these materials right now, uh, to have them being made locally would be a real advantage, I would think, for Canadians. You are so right, and that's why we launched our website, buyandsell.gc.ca, at the beginning of March, and we have received 11,000-plus offers of assistance from suppliers across this country and internationally wanting to assist uh, with the effort to battle the coronavirus. Uh, and so it's very important to remember that I'm so heartened when I see businesses right here in Canada, and there are very uh, many of them who are doing that 
offering to assist. In addition, um, we are also engaging Canadian industry to deliver breakthrough solutions, retool, scale up to meet critical needs. Uh, and so that's another piece of this um, plan. We are engaging with existing suppliers, leveraging existing supply chains, as well as asking businesses to retool so we can produce necessary goods right here at home in Canada. Now, as we're going through this process of, you know, now that we're really in, in the thick of it here and, and you're kind of reacting at this point, I mean, in terms of the proactive approach, uh, uh, you know, how, how prepared was Canada initially for something like this? Can you talk a little bit about how we have fared so far when it comes to having materials available compared to other places to this point? Most definitely uh, another great question. Canada's National Emergency Strategic Stockpile uh, exists on, on an ongoing basis, and it contains supplies that provinces and territories can request in emergencies when their own resources are not enough. We are leveraging existing sources of supply while also proactively engaging industry to help meet Canada's needs in order to avoid this kind of situation. The reality is that the situation varies by region and we have arrangements in place to move supplies to those areas as they need it. Uh, you may have heard that our Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister spoke with the Premiers earlier this week and our government continues to engage with provinces and territories on a regular basis to ensure that all regions have what they need, including medical supplies and equipment. Is there any particular item that, uh, you know, is, is maybe in a, more of a short supply right now? We've heard a lot from, from doctors about, and, and nurses about the need for, for more masks within hospitals. Um, you know, there was also a, a lot of chatter about sanitizer. We've seen people hoarding sanitizer, but I know there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of different, like, liquor companies that are starting to sort of look to, to start manufacturing some sanitizers. So that seems to be something that a lot of local companies are able to take up. Um, you know, just, is there anything that if, if someone out there is listening and has the ability or, or potential ability to start making to help deal with this whole coronavirus crisis um, you know is there is there one thing in particular that that you could put the message out to say we need this and and hopefully there's someone out there listening that might be able to help um, you know make make those materials well I'm really glad that you asked that because as I said we've had 11,000 plus offers of assistance on our buy and sell website and the offers range from things like hand sanitizer to uh, personal protective equipment. Our asks from the provinces and our focus has been on PPE, the gowns and the masks, etc. And you may have heard last week that I announced that we uh, have procured 11 million masks mm -hmm. and 95 masks. Um, in addition, I would like to say, though, that I'm so heartened by what businesses across the country are doing, including in the area of hand sanitizer. Um, we are working closely with the Ministry of Health and the Public Health Agency of Canada to make sure that we have the supplies that healthcare workers need, but also over and above that to make sure that the specifications as to what we are uh, using to procure uh, goods are available to companies so that they themselves can take those and uh, produce goods on their own for Canadians as they're doing right now. 
Uh, I did want to ask also about about ventilators and too. Uh, just uh, last question really here was was around that because. You know, I've heard a lot of concern about the possibility of us not having enough. I, I think uh, to this point, it seems like most places are doing okay from that perspective. But when we're talk talking about a real a, a life-saving tool like a ventilator, I know there is some worry that, you know, if, if the hospitals were to get inundated with people who are in, in real severe conditions, that there might not be enough available. Um, you know, do you have any message for people who might be worried about that kind of thing? And, and it might be difficult, given that it is probably a, um, um, you know, location-by-location -location basis on, on how many are available mm -hmm. but do you have mm -hmm. any sort of uh, mm -hmm. you know message for people who may have those concerns well I would like to say that uh, first and foremost public health officials have confirmed uh, that we do have 5,000 or so ventilators across the country um, we are taking um, the steps we need to to order more we've ordered more we're working on further purchases and I will say that there can be efforts, depending on where the pandemic is striking at a particular time, to move equipment around the country as is necessary. And so in the area of ventilators, we're working hard and we are faring well. Well, thank you so that's much. not to mention... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that I, I want to... I want to re-emphasize the, the push that we are making here at home in our domestic industry to retool and to ensure that we've got a domestic supply of ventilators as well as the existing supply of 5,000 that I just mentioned. Well, thank you so much for and taking the time to come on and, and speak to me about all of this. Um, you know, I think it's it's really important that people are aware that the steps are being taken to make sure we have the materials that we need, especially when we're hearing from a number of, of people out there who are concerned about, you know, things starting to dry up when it comes to that supply chain for these necessary items. But glad to hear that steps are being taken to make sure we're there. Anything else you want to add, Anita, while I do have you on the line? Most definitely. I would like to reiterate our message that we must act collectively as a country now. We need to stay home. We need to self-isolate, and together we can plank the curve. Yeah, I hope people are getting that message. I mean, we're saying it enough. It's just a matter of whether they're listening. So thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. And, um, yeah, have a, have a great rest of your day. Really, really thank you so much you for too. your time. You too, Jeff. Thank you so much. Take oh, care. You as well. Bye. That was the Federal Public Services and Procurement Minister, Anita Anand, uh, just talking about their supply chain, what we need here in Canada when it comes to things like masks, like ventilators, like lab coats to keep our healthcare professionals safe while they take care of us during this time of a global pandemic. Coming up next, I'm going to be talking about the funeral service industry. You know, how has it been impacted by COVID-19? What are the concerns that might exist there? I'll be talking with Drake Smith of Drake uh, Cremation and Funeral Services after this. So please stick around. More Jeff Andrea Show coming up next. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Wednesday. 
The novel coronavirus, of course, has everyone on edge, particularly when it comes to those large gatherings. We know in B.C. we're told never to be in groups larger than 50. There are a lot of places that have essentially banned groups larger than 10, and we have all heard from our own health officials here in B.C. saying really the only safe uh, group to be in is a group of one. So how do these kind of rules impact the funeral service business? Well, I'm joined on the phone now by Drake Smith of Drake Cremation and Funeral Services. Drake, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Good morning. So let's just talk about what the impact has been so far. I mean, have you had any sort of issues when it comes to people wanting to plan large services but, but can't do so at this time? You know, Jeff, uh, things have really changed in our, in our province over the past uh, several years. The, people are not having the large formal services as often anymore, and that's, that's largely because of the cremation rate. In British Columbia, about 90% of people, in the Kamloops area too, about 90% of people when they die are being cremated. And of those people that are being cremated, a lot of families are not holding the formal big services as much as they used to. They're having more informal little family and, and a few friends gatherings in the backyard or elsewhere. And so that's really actually helping at a time like this when we're so concerned about social distancing and it's really helping to have that uh, time that people can actually wait if they want to to have uh, a gathering because cremation gives you that that option to take your time yeah and and that kind of makes sense as well when talking about you know a lot of people like to use that phrase uh, a celebration of life as opposed to an actual funeral service now which um, you know when we're talking about something like that it's probably a, a uh, I don't want to call it a party, but you know, it's something that you can you can have later, right? You don't have to necessarily have a celebration of life at the exact time of of someone, you know, having having a funeral or having a, a cremation service. You know, that's something you could put off to a later date. So I'm I'm guessing, you know, from that perspective as well, you're seeing a lot more people who are probably willing to push off those sorts of recognition of a person's life um, to to a to a time in the future where COVID-19 is hopefully not an issue. Well, absolutely. It actually happens quite often here in Kamloops and the area uh, in, the, in the winter months, uh, whether there's a virus or not going around. People are usually really concerned about their um, relatives and friends coming from far away during the winter on the icy roads. And so quite often people will postpone their gatherings, their celebrations of life, or even their informal gatherings or more formal gatherings until uh, the, the weather turns nicer. So that's not a, not a new phenomenon, that's for sure. But there are kind of pros and cons to that whole idea of, of delaying the gathering. I've heard a lot of people over the years tell me that they, when they delay it by, say, several months, it's almost like they they go they were just kind of coming out of a certain emotional um, stage, if you will, and then because the service or the gathering happens uh, maybe six months later, they're kind of forcing themselves to go back into that, or they're finding themselves going back into that same emotional um, phase mm -hmm. or, or mode, if you will. So there, are, there kind of are pros and cons to that, Jeff, but at a time like this, um, it, it really is a, a valuable thing for people to be able to take that time and maybe have that gathering a little bit later on. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely something that, yeah, when you're talking about playing with people's emotions, it can have or seemingly have that kind of effect. Uh, you know, as people go through those stages of grief, sometimes having those those funeral services are, are important to people. Um, I wanted to ask, too, because we talked a little bit about this yesterday when we were, we were chatting on the phone offline here, um, just about, you know, concerns about 
bodies being brought in and you know what um, you know when we're dealing with a pandemic like this just sort of what the potential risk could be for those who are handling those um, you know I know that's not necessarily something you work with directly but you know what kinds of precautions are being taken in the field uh, when it comes to dealing with with deceased bodies well you know I, my hats off to the people who work in care facilities uh, hospice uh, facilities and uh, hospitals the, uh, the 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 staff there, the nursing staff and people there deal with this sort of thing every day. And I was thinking about this, Jeff, after our conversation yesterday that, um, you know, in the movies, when a person dies in the movie, uh, they, they kind of give out their last breath. And that's uh, that's the sort of sign in the in Hollywood that they've gone, if you right. will. But but in reality, what often happens with people when they die is there is air still locked into their lungs it's trapped in their lungs if you will and uh, it's through the process of moving that person that uh, the air is expelled so if there's any concern about the the virus for example um, it could it could come out during that time where you're even if you're you know as we do we gently try to move a person from maybe maybe the bed or if they if they've died on the floor for example you have to move that person onto the onto the stretcher and uh, it does put um, it does put the first Responders and our um, our team of, of uh, people at risk, and so it is. A, it's a it's a concern for sure. Um, Drake, I have a no, just about a minute left here, a little over a minute, and I wanted to get this question in. And uh, you know, what are some of the things now that people who are wanting to make some arrangements or, or pre arrangements, even uh, what kind of things can they do uh, to a protect themselves, I guess, but also um, you know just to make sure they are prepared for when something does arrive. Do you have any sort of suggestions for people who are you know in that mode of of looking to make arrangements at this time? Yeah, there are two things, Jeff, that I recommend to people, and I recommend those any time of year. One of them is to uh, make sure you have your will in place. And uh, even if you do something online or download a form or something, uh, you have a will. And the reason for that is that when you die, uh, the person who is the um, uh, named as the executor of the will is the one that is responsible for making the funeral arrangements or the cremation arrangements. And people don't often know that, but that's the reality. And if there's no will, then you start going down this pecking order, and it's can be, it can be really stressful for the family. Uh, so having a will in place is a good idea. The second thing is uh, we have something called the Easy as 123 Planning Sheet. You can get it online, or you can call us, and we'll mail one out to you. And um, it contains all the questions that we're going to be asking uh, when the death occurs. And, and people often are scrambling around trying to find all those questions or the answers to those questions you know where's the birth certificate what's the social insurance number what's the mother's maiden name that kind of stuff that people typically don't know about other people but you know what about yourself so if you fill one of those forms out it takes you about five minutes and then you just mail it on back in or or drop it off or whatever uh, and then you can you can rest assured that you've taken care of 99.9 percent of the concerns that we're going to be dealing with at the time of death and so uh, you, again you can do that online you can phone us and we'll send you a, a form well that's some great uh, great advice i think for a lot of people out there listening who might be worried about what the future may hold so thank you so much for doing this drake really appreciate you taking the time and uh, yeah enjoy the rest of your wednesday here and take care jeff you as well stay safe stay isolated if you can
All right, that was uh, Drake Smith with Drake Cremation and Funeral Services. Yeah, definitely some something to think about, something that, uh, you know, not everyone is necessarily contemplating at this point in time is what to do if someone does pass, but it is uh, a reality that many do, in fact, have to deal with. Uh, coming up next, I'm going to be talking with the CEO of Medimaps, Blake Adam. He has put out a new service for virtual doctor calls. We'll be getting into that after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show, and thank you so much for tuning in here with me on Wednesday. I will be speaking with BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. That's going to be coming up in about 10 minutes, so stay tuned for that. Uh, a new service was launched, though, by Medimaps yesterday that connects patients across BC with an available walk-in clinic doctor over secure video call. I am joined on the phone now by the CEO of Medimap, Blake Adam. Blake, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. So, first and foremost, I'll just get you to sort of explain this whole thing to people who are listening out there. What exactly did you guys launch here yesterday, and, and how can people, you know, sort of take advantage if uh, they have some concerns? Absolutely. So, um, Medimap is a, is a platform that, for years, patients across the province have relied on to look up wait times at walk-in clinics in their community. As of this week, um, if you need to speak with a doctor online, uh, you have the option of going to Medimap's ca and uh, we'll connect you with a, a doctor in our network of walk-in clinics across the province so um, you can speak with a doctor over a video call within 10 minutes of, of going on and, and submitting your request on the website yeah, that's that's pretty awesome to have that short of a wait time. Uh, you know, we, we have seen a lot of uh, telemedicine that's sort of been expanded during this whole uh, global pandemic and, uh, and telemedicine just sort of having an expanded role in Canada specifically. Um, but I know, you know, when it comes to having a virtual doctor appointment for specifically people who are at home, you know, with, with symptoms of COVID-19 or, or worried they might have it, um, you know, that, that can take potentially a day or so to, to get in touch with someone. But to have the ability to speak to a, a doctor in, a, in, you know, 10 to 15 minutes is a pretty quick turnaround. Um, you know, how, how difficult was it to kind of set up this sort of uh, a timeline for people? And, and of course, it's important to note, I think, that uh, this service isn't just for people who have uh, COVID-19 concerns, but, you know, really, if they have any medical issue that they want to talk to someone about, this is an opportunity to take advantage. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, prescription refills, there are a number of services that can be delivered virtually and have been safely by doctors for years. Um, we, uh, because of our network of, of clinics that we already work with, we were able to to build this functionality in and uh, basically give doctors that, at clinics that we're already working with the ability to, to set their status as available when they're they're not busy. So um, essentially what we're doing is we're connecting people with with. Um, doctors who, who have time uh, and uh, and as a result uh, I think the as you noted the, it's becoming increasingly difficult to find timely access to care people are having trouble navigating the system in in large part the healthcare system is really quite overwhelmed um, so being able to offer to people access to a doctor over a video call within 10 minutes of actually going in and submitting their request is a pretty unique offering I think was it a challenge at all to get uh, doctors on board with this project? I know you said you work with a lot of um, you know offices out there for for doing your your walking clinic service and letting people know how long wait times are. But um, you know I, I'm guessing you know with with this whole physical distancing thing that is going on right now and and a lot of people probably not wanting to go into clinics or doctors probably not even having their clinics open at this point in time that there was an opportunity here for for these doctors to jump on board and have a little bit of um, not extra time but you know they're they're able to divert their time because 
because they're not at the office to be available over the phone. So just how, how challenging was it or was it challenging at all to get doctors on board to be available for this service? Yeah, that's right. Many doctors are very busy right now, but there are also a lot of doctors now that have switched, as you noted, to um, you know not even doing in-person consultations. So we're we're finding uh, tons of doctors across the province at clinics that we work with are are now wanting to to participate in this and uh, and just just help people across the province uh, that that are looking for timely access to care. So uh, it's been really really well received by by the clinics that we work with. Do you do you have any idea how many doctors are you know available at any given time is, has that been worked out i know this just launched you know her or yesterday so i'm sure there's some kinks yeah, that might be worked out right but yeah it's uh it's 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 growing daily and um what i can say is right now if if you were to go on at this moment and submit a request through medimap you would be able to be on a call with the doctor in the province within 10 minutes so uh the the, the kind of supply side of doctors uh, it hasn't been an, an issue for us yet because of uh, all the all the doctors that are wanting to be a part of it and I guess it's sort of, um, you know, probably a play it by ear at this point in time when it comes to potential for longer wait times. I mean, as the service gets out there, as more people are aware of it, you know, um, you know, how, how confident are you in the ability to maintain that, that rapid response that you currently have? Is there any concern that, you know, once more and more people are aware of this Medimap service that it could start to, to clog up the phone calls at all? Yeah, so if, if there isn't a doctor available to see you as a patient when you're coming to the site um, within the 10-minute the wait, um, you have the, the option of setting an alert to be notified as soon as there is one available. Um, so uh, so that the wait never will be more than that 10 minute that we're committing to uh, as a patient. Um, there may be times where when the doctors are, are clogged up, you have to set an alert to be notified when there is a doctor online for you, but, uh, but that, hasn't, uh, that hasn't been an issue yet. Oh, that's perfect. So no, uh, no hanging out and listening to some corny, corny, um, you know, on hold music for, for too long. That's not something that people have to deal with, thankfully. No, that's right. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Because that stuff can get kind of annoying when you're sitting there for too long. I think we've all probably been online with a cable company or something at some point in time and just had a frustrating time trying to get through. So glad to hear that won't be the case for people who are really just trying to make themselves feel better. Um, so this is, I mean, is this specifically for people in BC right now, right? This isn't something that you've um, launched anywhere beyond this province at this point in time? Yeah, that's right. So for a long time, the uh, the BC Ministry of Health has reimbursed doctors for doing um, virtual consultations with patients. Um, just as of the past couple of weeks, that's something that Ontario and Alberta are now doing as well. So we're preparing to, to roll it out in those provinces. But uh, for now, the service is just available to um, patients that have valid MSP coverage and are in BC. Okay, so that's probably important to note then. So if, if someone does want to jump online and uh, set up a virtual appointment and, you know, wait those 10 minutes to speak with someone, what should they have available? Is there any specific information that they need to have uh, before they can really start that consultation process? Yeah, for sure. They'll, they'll need to have a, a valid um, uh, BC personal health number. Um, so that uh, that they'll have coverage and that they don't have to pay for the service themselves, um, and that's that's really it. Uh, when when you go, you, you'll submit your details through through the webpage, and uh, you'll be able to select a local pharmacy as well. So that if a prescription is required, the uh, the clinic's able to fax it to your to your local pharmacy for uh, for pickup. Perfect. 
Um, that's awesome, Blake. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and, and, and talking about this this new service. I think it's really cool that you guys have launched this, and I think it's going to be a big help for a lot of people out there who, uh, specifically when it comes to non-COVID concerns, because I think that's what most healthcare professionals are sort of dealing with on a on a priority basis, right, is, is you know, do you have the novel coronavirus, and we'll deal with that first. But, of course, life goes on. There are other things out there that people do need to worry about, and, and having a, an opportunity to speak to a doctor in 10 minutes about those other concerns I think is really critical as well so uh thank you so much for your time anything else that you do want to add while i have you on the line here uh no thanks for helping get the word out and uh medimaps.ca if uh if, if you need access to care it's available to you right now awesome well thank you so much for this blake really do appreciate your time and uh yeah i think it's an important thing that you're doing here so glad glad to help get the word out thanks so much Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Awesome. That was the CEO of Medimap, Blake Adams. So there you go. You can jump online. If you have your uh, your MSP number available, you just hang out. You can wait up to 10 to 15 minutes, or if it's going to be longer, you can uh, set up that email or text alert and just uh, hang out, wait for your phone to buzz, and jump back online. You can see someone in a pretty short period of time. So I think that's pretty awesome, especially at a time when we're dealing with a healthcare system that is pretty clogged and pretty backed up when dealing with COVID-19 concerns. And, of course, like I was saying, there is that, uh, you know, other medical issues that do exist out there that people need taken care of as well. So glad to see that there is another service available for people to use uh, without having to actually leave their homes and go to hospitals or doctor's offices where, of course, we are trying our best to not venture out of our homes if possible. And Hopefully that holds true for, for everyone listening right now. All right, well, coming up next, of course, I had the pleasure of chatting with BC Health Minister Adrian Dick. So I'm going to be playing my chat with him that I had earlier today next. So please stick around. More Jeff Andrea show coming up uh, in just a couple minutes. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for tuning in with me here today on Radio NL. Earlier this morning, I caught up with BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. So let's uh, play my chat here with him here from earlier today. I am joined on the phone now by the British Columbia Health Minister, Adrian Dix. Adrian, thanks so much for taking the time here. Good morning, Jeff. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of start off with a, a general question here. You know, how are you doing right now? You know, I, I spoke with former Health Minister Terry Lake a couple of weeks ago, and he basically was saying, you know, you don't really get to think about anything else during a time of crisis like this. So I just wanted to ask, you know, how, how you're handling all of this right now and, and if you're feeling uh, feeling okay at this time. I'm feeling great, personally. Um, uh, my health is good, and it's so inspiring to work ar around people who are so committed to uh, to helping people and to uh, responding to this uh, kind of unprecedented international pandemic. It's not unprecedented, uh, of course, in the history of uh, of our country, but it is unprecedented, I think, in, and certainly in my lifetime. And I'm 55, and so it's an extraordinary thing. And uh, I'll just give you one story, if I may, Jeff. That you know, we did a call out this weekend for nurses and for care aides to help us at the Lynn Valley Manor, uh, Lynn Valley Center, which is uh, the care home that's been at the heart of uh, of um, the issue in in the Metro Vancouver area. It's North Vancouver, and 22 nurses volunteered to go in. 22 nurses volunteered to go in. You can't help but be inspired by that. Now, um, 
glad to hear you're doing good. I think that's the most important thing for anybody right now. But uh, I did want to ask, too, while I have you, I mean, what what is the responsibility right now when it comes to local health authorities to provide information to, to local media? And though this might sound like a bit of a self-serving question, but, you know, we here at, at Radio Now we're constantly being told by IHA to ask the provincial authorities for, for certain information, and then we call into the briefings, and, and oftentimes we can't get questions in. So I'm just wondering, what is the role of the local health authorities to provide that local information to people who are, you know, obviously wanting to know what's happening in their own communities. So, first of all, um, uh, we're doing briefings every day, as you know, because you're on them, and you know that Dr. Bonnie and Henry and I are taking questions for, on average, more than an hour every day, and that because of the um, unprecedented nature of of COVID-19 and the response and the obvious media interest, there's a lot more media on the call. So we get media from BC and then we get media from uh, international media, everyone coming in on the call, which has made, even though we take a lot of questions every day, and I think everyone who's on the calls would agree with that, that we take a lot of questions, there's a lot of people who don't get on. And part of the reason why I do interviews like this, which is to to ensure that uh, there's fairness, but also the people in Kamloops hear, uh, hear from me, and I'm going to continue to do interviews on NL, and hopefully Dr. Henry will as well. In addition, I think um, IH will be reaching out more as um, as the issue progresses and responding, I think, uh, more to your calls as well. Uh, Interior Health has done just a, a superb job. I just want to highlight, for example, what health authorities across BC have done as we prepare for this, and it shows how difficult we see the next month being. Uh, we've um, we've uh, essentially in BC now, have 3,866 empty hospital beds preparing in a way that other jurisdictions didn't. People talk about Italy, but this didn't happen in Italy, preparing for a significant surge in patients in acute care. And uh, uh, the Interior Health Authority has done a lot, its share of that, as you know, and we've done it the hard way for people because it's been very hard uh, by canceling elective surgery. So people in Kamloops uh, have felt that and people everywhere else have felt that. So I, I think that you're, you're going to see um, more response. Um, but I, I do say this, that I think what we've tried to do in BC, and I think we've held between 30 and 40 press briefings now, uh, averaging more than an hour, is respond every day. So you hear from us every day with relevant information, every single day. And this reflected how much of an emergency we thought this was in January, and then in February, and then in March. And now that it's um, with all of us, with all the huge changes that everybody's made in Kamloops and everywhere else, it's really with us. There's going to be, obviously, more need to communicate. So um, we're going to keep trying to do better on that score. But um, the idea is to be um, out there every day, and not just out there telling you what we think, but out there responding to questions. And hopefully... Uh, CHL will get on the top of the list today. Uh, we'll hope. We'll keep trying, and, and hopefully. We'll <laughs> okay. Get good. Good. Um, what What is um, just in terms of you know the the community outreach though, and I, I don't want to have this sound like a like I'm you know bashing the uh, the local health authorities, but just uh, just in terms of getting uh, widespread information out, because I know um, there was a bond spiel here in Kamloops where there were almost 200 people out, um, and then there was concern about COVID-19 exposure at that bond spiel, but we didn't hear for it for about uh, a week 
week, and we only heard about it because uh, another another local media member was at that bond spiel. Um, so just just some concern around you know the fact that there was potentially you know almost 200 people walking around who could have been exposed, and and no one really seemed to know about it. And hopefully those who were there you know were aware, but uh, there's really no way of us knowing. So just what what sort of is well, the role there? All of the all of the health authorities have been very aggressive in responding in and in, in contact tracing cases as they come, right? And so there's there's two sets of issues. One, there's a lot of people, and we've heard this from people in the interior who would like us to tell where everybody lives who's tested positive, right? We should, we need to know where everyone lives, but right. the reality is that people uh, we we now have 174 people province wide, including uh, in the Interior Health Authority, we've had uh, a significant number who have got who've got better. When you're when you have a mild case of COVID-19, the Interior Health Authority, for example, we have uh, 41 confirmed cases, right? Right now, yep. uh, as of yesterday's briefing, we have eight recovered cases. Okay, so those are eight people who had COVID-19 and have now recovered, which is very good news. And that's the li- the large share of people. There are four people currently in hospital in Interior Health, just to put it in context what we're dealing with. And so. Uh, if someone is sick at home, what they need to do is stay at home, and that's what we've been working with them to do. And because this is a droplet um, uh, transferred uh, tra- disease, uh, they don't. The people don't need to. People don't need to know. People are not at risk uh, in the community from those people, and they haven't been. In fact, people are getting better in the community. Where we tell people and talk about people is where there's risk to others, and that's what Interior Health does, and other health authorities do. In cases where, um, uh, in cases where we need to inform people, I had someone from the interior ask about, you know, what, were there different rules in the interior than Metro Vancouver? It's the exact same rule everywhere. Is that we inform when there's a need, when there's a public health reason to inform people of a circumstance, of a care home, of an institution, of something that's a problem, then we have to get out and inform people, and that's what uh, that's what we do. Uh, Minister Dix, while I have you here, um, you know, I just wanted to ask what kind of your message is to people who might be really concerned about, you know, a, a bigger widespread outbreak. You know, when we look at countries like Italy and Spain and, and those kinds of places, I mean, you know, basically on, on full lockdown. I mean, is there a potential we get to that point? You know, any idea how long the, the current measures are in place? And, and do you have a specific message for people who are, you know, concerned that this thing is going to get even more out of hand than it already is? There, there's no chance that things will... Um will get easier soon. So the restrictions that have been put on, which have effectively locked down the BC society, you know, the cancellation of school classes, the cancellation of post-secondary classes, the uh, insistence that people who stay, are sick stay home, the insistence that people who return to BC um, self-isolate for 14 days in their own home, the, uh, the changes to restaurant and bars, there's no chance those will change soon. Our hope is that if we get 100% compliance, and we need 100% compliance, that that will bend the curve a little bit and, as some, they say, flatten the curve, which means that we won't get as serious a situation as some of those other countries have seen. But we're preparing for that. On Friday, um, you'll see our projections for what things in British Columbia would look like should one of those scenarios uh, come to play. And let's be clear, April is going to be a hard month and that is why right now, right here, we need 100% compliance. If there's some people in the audience who said, oh, well, you know, hasn't really affected me yet, or I don't know anyone who's involved yet, well, 
it involves everybody. There's no community in British Columbia where this couldn't come. And that's why we need 100% compliance to slow transmission so that our healthcare systems can manage um, the consequences of what is going to be a serious situation. And whether it's better uh, than all the other, the, some of the jurisdictions you've heard about, and we're hoping that all these actions will mean it will be better. And we're certainly better prepared than some of them by having created space in acute care. Whether it is or not, this is going to be some, a, a serious month, the likes of which we have not seen in our lifetimes. Is there any potential for a, a full blanket lockdown or, or fines and, and legal action being taken for people who aren't social distancing? Is that on the well, table or radar yet? Well, just to, just to be clear, the provincial health officer has issued orders, and those are enforceable orders. Right? Okay. So you are not allowed. If you've come back to Canada um, and you've been outside of Canada, and this will happen less and less, right, because essentially, and we're very happy the federal government, you know, uh, has uh, closed the border, the American border to visitors because because of Washington State and because everyone in BC has a connection to Washington State in some, in some way, as you know. Um, but uh, because of Washington State, there was a serious issue there. The federal government has, has dramatically limited access for non-Canadians to the country, and those are good things, right? So, so but, but if anyone has come back to, say, Kamloops, having been out of the country or is returning to the country, they have to self-isolate um, for 14 days. And that's not a choice. Although, you know, the fact that we love our, our families and we love our neighbors and we love our friends should be enough. But if it's not enough, it's also a provincial health order. They have to do it, and they must do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak to us, Minister. I really do appreciate it. I know you're, you're hey, busy, so thank you so much. Anytime. We'll stay in touch, and uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put in a good word. Hopefully we'll hear CHNL at the press conference uh, one of these next couple of days. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Take care. That was BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. Well, thank you so much to everybody for listening here today. It was a pretty jam-packed show. Thank you to uh, Minister, Federal Minister of Procurement, Anita Onid, uh, Drake Smith with uh, Drake Funeral Services, Blake Adam, the CEO of Medimaps, and, uh, of course, Health Minister Adrian Dix for taking the time to join me today. Well, that about wraps things up for the Jeff Andrea Show. I want to thank all my guests for joining me, and thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.